G'day, and welcome to another episode of Free the Geek FM. In this episode, I chat with my mate Adam Culp, the founder of Sunshine PHP in sunny South Florida, about starting and running conferences, project estimates, and generally being a professional developer. See you in a sec. Well, g'day, 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 and welcome back. This time, as I said in the intro, I am I have the good pleasure of chatting with Mr. Adam Culp. It's a chat that I've been wanting to to have for a while. I guess it's it's a continuation of one we started uh, when we sort of caught up in person after many, many months. G'day, Adam, of of chatting on Twitter. Uh, sorry, when we caught up at PHP World in Washington last November. And we sort of we were sort of having a yarn because I picked his brains after listening to one of his episodes on Run Geek Radio about how we as developers sort of do these like thumb suck estimates. Someone says, "Well, how long do you think that'll take?" And you say, "Well," or you think to yourself, "I should say," you think, "Well, uh, probably minimum take me about oh two months, so it'll probably take longer, so I'll double it." And then something more might go wrong, or they might sort of change their minds or add in extra features. So I'll triple it, and that'll probably be okay. And in Adam's um, on Adam's podcast on Run Geek Radio, he he, what would you say? He sort of really went out there and said that he absolutely, fundamentally disagrees with this approach because he believes it is completely wrong. Um, not wanting to sort of take away from the episode, but in short, because you really don't know. You don't know that it's going to take that long. You don't know for sure that um, that's the amount of work it will take. So if you don't know, how can you tell somebody else that it will? Because you can't back it up. And it's, I guess it sort of really intrigued me because the, the, the way Adam put it across in his podcast I guess I never had somebody who was so adamant, so absolutely behind the fact that you shouldn't do it this way, and perhaps was also so transparent in in his reasonings for why that's wrong. So we started to have a bit more of a yarn about that at PHP World, and then I thought, well, hang on a second, why not? You know, why have it just between the two of us? We should get that out there, get it out there so other people can hear about it as well, and get their input and. You know, and so everybody, you know, we we continue getting that that discussion out there, that discussion going, getting the word out, and just seeing if if nothing else, it resonates with more people than us, and so that's what we did. So that's the that's the core of, of what we talked about today, and it's the latter half of our discussion. So definitely hang in there for that. The first part is, I guess, is is a continuing continuing a theme that I've had running on on the show for. A little while now, which is talking about conferences. You might think that I'm actually sort of keen to do my own conference. In part, yes, but really no. Like I'm not uh, at the stage where I'd sort of actually want to do one. But I sort of figured, you know, I know sort of so many people who have started their own or taken over some that it was worth continuing to to, to pick the brains to find out what goes behind these events. These, these events which are brilliant for networking opportunities, for social opportunities for educational opportunities and so on, you know, to get an idea of what goes on behind the scenes. And so very fortunately, in this episode, you get to find out what goes 
on behind and how it started and so forth, the wonderful Sunshine PHP in sunny South Florida. So if you've been to Sunshine, if you're thinking of going to Sunshine, then this will be an episode which I am sure, I am positive, you will enjoy. Anyway, for me this week, I'm just going to sort of skip having a blurb about myself, really. I'm going to hand over to the episode because it is quite long, it is quite in-depth, it's absolutely packed with information. So without further words from me, here is the Fireside Chat with Mr. Adam Culp, and I'll see you afterwards. So what, I, th- I think you've told this story, at least maybe to me once or twice, but how did you um, get into to starting conferences? So in, I, I guess it's been four years now, because this is the fourth year of Sunshine PHP. So mm-hmm. four years ago, I was, I was sitting at home and ZenCon was kicking off in October, mm-hmm. and I wasn't going. <laughs> I didn't have an invite and, and I wasn't able to go myself. I was working a contract at the time and also doing some other freelance things. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was really distraught because I really wanted to go and I couldn't go. I saw all the Twitters. The, my Twitter feed was going wild with everybody at ZenCon and oh, it was ZenCon. And it was at that point that uh, an epiphany hit me. I was, I was sitting and I was like, you know what? I wonder how many other people are sitting here in Florida watching the tweets or other PR things coming from ZenCon, and they're not able to go either. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, we we were right around 500 members in the user group. You know, between four and 500 members in the user group. And I thought, you know what, I have enough people that I could probably build a small little conference. Okay. And uh, probably, I, I, you know, my first my first blush was let's build a one track conference, mm. have a have a one day one track conference, and and invite everybody. So I, I let my friend Pablo Godel down in Miami, uh, the former uh, founder of ServerGrove. Mm-hmm. Um, I say former because it's under new ownership now. But uh, Pablo, I, I let him know. I said, you know what? Let's do this. And he said, that sounds like a great idea. And so then I started building it immediately. I, I, I got so excited about it <laughs> and so convinced that I was going to do it. I tweeted about it. And everybody at ZenCon just went crazy. Right. And it caught on within minutes. Mm-hmm. I had already had an email from Rasmus Lordorf saying, Hey, do you need a keynote speaker? Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it was crazy how fast it took off. And then Pablo and I had a, had a later discussion. He said, You know what? I've been wanting to do a symphony day in South Florida for a while because there's really nothing, no events down in Florida for symphony. So we, I, I said, You know what? We could just build a second track since I'm already building it. Might as well just add one more track and make it a symphony track. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, we ended up with three tracks and, and kicked off the first year. It literally was put together in four months. <laughs> wow, four months. Yeah, four months. Well, I was, I was, I mean, I was working a contract, but I was, un, I was unemployed other than freelance developing and things. I was, yeah. I was unemployed, so I had tons of time, and, and I had planned on taking time off to do some different things. Mm. And so I kind of used the free time to do those different things as well as kicking off the first year of Sunshine PHP. So it worked out well. The The, the chemistry was there uh, and I had the time. So in four months, it was really a full-time thing for me. And wow. in doing it full-time, one person can do a conference, mm-hmm. you know, because it really, I mean, as, as long as you're organized and keep lists and, and um, 
and have a decent network to bounce things off of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a lot of great friends who have already organized events like Cal Evans and, you know, and Keith Casey and, and some other folks that I was able to say, you know, hey, how did you do this or how would you do that? Mm-hmm. And, and it worked out really well. I, I, I very quickly made a list of things that I needed to do and wanted to do in, in four months. We put it together and it went really well. I mean, that's awesome because I, I talked to, to James Titcombe who uh, I, I, I don't know if it's kind of overstating it, but I think he was the main person behind PHP uh, South Coast in Portsmouth, England. And I just quizzed him and said, like, how long did it take you? And he said it took around about nine months. Um, but maybe it was because he was sort of coming from a different position or had less time. Um, so, yeah, to hear, hear it done in four months is, I mean, to me it sounds amazing. Well, I mean, most of the heavy lifting of a conference is really done in four months in any way. Okay. Um, now, now in, with larger conferences, of course, you have to start looking for sponsors nine months out or ten months out, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, it takes many large companies that long to allocate the funds. Mm-hmm. But when you're working at a small community conference, and you know, I don't mean to undermine Sunshine at all. I mean, we're 350 attendees, so it is a decent size event. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know the second largest in the states, other than ZenCon, at 350 attendees. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is is you know, because it's a community conference, we're not really we're not really getting high sponsorships as far as the money goes. The sponsorships are very cost effective for companies. Mm. Uh, to reach that many developers, and because of that, it doesn't have as much of a lead time. You know, if you're if you're charging twenty thousand dollars for a sponsorship, a company has to think a little bit more about it than yep. say an eight thousand dollars sponsorship or a one thousand dollars sponsorship. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a much different animal. Um, what would you? I guess we could sort of go into maybe the specifics of like what it takes to to get them up and running and stuff. But um, I think. I'd like to come back to that, but firstly, say, what is it that you feel is like the main benefit of, of running a conference? Like, what, what do you think that maybe you personally or like the attendees or, you know, the, the key thing that makes a conference worthwhile? So in, in Florida, we're kind of down here in the, in the southeastern United States and we're pretty much cut off from every place. I mean, it is a peninsula after all, off the edge, off the edge of the, the, the states. Mm. And, you know, to get anywhere, you pretty much have to fly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially from the, the, the southern tip, right? You know, from the southern tip of, of where Miami is up to northern Florida is a five-hour five drive. Oh, wow. So, it, so it's not a small undertaking. It's, it's a very long state. It's mm-hmm. very, very long and very thin. To go from one side of Florida to the other side is literally an hour drive. But to go north and south, it's a five- to six-hour drive. Okay. Um. So, and that's just to get out of Florida. And then you've got, you know, you've got much longer trek to get wherever you're going. And, uh, you know, a lot of companies, uh, South Florida is really a a hotbed of a lot of startups. And a lot of startups don't have cash to send their developers places and, and to do things like that. So you end up with developers having to foot the bill themselves and they don't. So one of the reasons that I started Sunshine was because, much like myself, I was trapped in Florida and I wasn't able to go to ZenCon. I didn't have the budget for it and didn't have the backing for it. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so there are obviously a lot of other developers in Florida that meet that criteria as well. So right away, we already have 
attendees because you know the developers wanted to go to conferences they want to learn these techniques that everybody's talking about you know they want to go to the conferences and see all these great people mm-hmm. and so sunshine by by making sunshine php i brought that to the area you know in in that was the goal. The goal mm-hmm. was to bring the PHP community at large to South Florida okay. so that the, the South Florida developers could have access to it. And that was the overriding goal. And I think we've accomplished that quite well. Okay. Um, then looking at the organizational aspect, um, let's, say, let's say hypothetically, let's say hypothetically um, here, in, here in Nuremberg, or I'm technically just outside Nuremberg, um, that I'm aware of anyway, there's, there's no big conferences. There's one, I think, down in Munich, and there's always one up in Berlin. But say, for example, um, I was involved enough in the local user group, and we felt that, you know, there was something sort of special maybe about here, or we wanted to put one on. What, what are the key things that you've really got to cover off to, to, to make it work? I mean, assuming that over time, you know, you, if it worked, you could then grow it, just to... To make it fluid and, and there's no sort of where's this oh i forgot that what, what are the key things you have to do to make a conference work so the first thing is make a list right mm-hmm. uh make a list time it out you know when do you need to schedule certain things you know like uh you know four months out you have to have sponsorship starting to come in four months out you should already have your cfp closed and have an idea you know if you're not going to do a cfp if you're going to pick your speakers and pick the talks that you want presented, you know, have those done four months out, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, one month out, that's when you start ordering conference or attendee bags. If you're going to have them, you start ordering, you know, your, your different printed materials and and things like that. You know, you just make a list of all those organizational things that you want to make sure that you get done. So that way you don't forget them because you will forget them if you don't write them down. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that's pretty much what I do. I mean, I, I literally in, in, I use Google Calendar as my personal calendar. And so what I did is I created a calendar for myself. And when I'm getting ready to start Sunshine PHP, I have on the calendar a tickler saying, okay, time to start, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and when should I start the CFP? When should the CFP close? When should this happen? When should that happen? And I create appointments for all those. So they they alert me first thing in the morning on the day that, you know, I need to start preparing them. You know, yeah. now I don't, I don't create appointments for myself for the day they need to to be done. Mm-hmm. I create an appointment for myself to prepare myself to do them, and then I create an appointment for when they're to be done as well. Because you have to have some foreknowledge. You can't just alert yourself in the morning and, hey, here's a CFP. I just did it over the last hour. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it takes time to to you know, get all that in place, make sure the server's ready, the certificate and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, for SSL and all that. So basically just being organized and, and thinking it out and planning ahead. Yeah, you know, when uh, I think the second year of Sunshine, I was I was sharing with Pablo Godel and, mm-hmm. and his partner at the time at Server Grove, uh, Kim, and I was sharing with them all the lists and the organization and things that I did. And they were, you know, after they picked their jaw up off the table, they, <laughs> put, they put out a blog post on Server Grove and, and they hailed me as Martha Stewart on steroids. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, because I, I, you know, and I'm not really all that organized, but I do, I do make lists. I do make lists on, on calendars or what have you so mm-hmm. that I don't forget things. And, and it's not because I'm super organized. It's because I'm not organized. That's mm-hmm. why I do it. Because uh, otherwise I would forget every small little thing because I am very forgetful. <laughs> that sounds like um, a, Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so so I am very forgetful. So I have to make sure that I make lists for myself and, and yeah. have stuff organized. So, you know, I'm organized out of necessity. Ah, it sounds like a, a good friend of mine always said, he said, mate, remember the five Ps. He said, was it proper planning prevents poor performance? And I, I'm very much, I think, the same. Like when I, oh, when I was, many, many years ago, uh, I won't say how many, a lovely lady who I was seeing at the time, um, I said, I, look, I needed help with, with some kind of, some, some kind of like administrative task. And she said, okay, so where do I find this? And I said, uh, I'm not sure. Well, where do I find this then? I don't know where that is either. And there was this awkward silence of, what do you mean you don't know where it is? And so I must admit that, as, as cliche as it might sound, hello, sweetie, if you actually hear this when it's recorded. But my wife is, she, she's a stereotype German, I like to think. But as much as that sounds like I'm critiquing, I'm not. It's, Having that person there to say, you know, well, where's the list for this? Or where's your filing for that? I kind of, I fought against it at first, but after a while, I've just seen how it's really helped. Like I don't, I can, it kind of lets me be more creative because then you've, you've everything else, like the little things are sort of taken care of, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So there's a, there was a, a, a quote that I, that I say quite often. And I think it was Einstein who first said it. Uh, if, if memory serves, I, I don't recall. I'd have to do a search. But he said, uh, you know, why should I remember things if I can write them down? I think we already and, said, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, if you can write it down, then it's less things that you have to remember. It just makes mm. perfect sense. Yeah, so you you can then get on with doing the key things, not be, well, where do I put this and when do I have to do whatever. It's just, and it was someone actually cutting it that bit. Someone, uh, I think a friend of mine is a helicopter pilot. And he said they, they drill it into you that you don't necessarily think about certain things. It's like, where's your checklist? You know, you, you're sitting there preparing to take off. I think he said there's, there's the, the, the taking off, well, there's the taking off checklist. And, you know, you go through, have I done this? Have I done this? Have I checked that gauge? So you don't leave something to chance. It's just, you know, get on with doing it. Um, but I definitely think that's, you know, it's, that's right. You know, the, the little, I, I think people aren't really great at, well, some people are. But I'm necessarily great at remembering things. You're sort of good at, at expressing yourself and being creative, but the little day-to-day tasks, I think, can easily go by the wayside. Yeah, and one of the important, well, not one of the importance, but another important item um, with the conference organizing pieces is making sure that you have a network of some sort, mm-hmm. right? Um, chances are, if you're, if, if you don't have a voice anywhere, if you don't have any people who you know, any followers or anything like that, Mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, or at least a good network of people who do have good followers. (laughs) Um, You're not going to do very well Mm. at, at organizing a conference or something along that line. Cause you know, it's not one of those things. If you build it, they'll automatically come, right? It's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you definitely have to get the word out. So, so a network, having a good network or support network in place is super important. 
you know, with me, you know, I kind of built my network because I started the user group down here, you know, a few years before I did the conference. Mm -hmm. And, and I am also good friends with Cal Evans and many other, um, you know, people in the PHP community, you Mm -hmm. know, through me speaking at other conferences. And so I've kind of built that up over time to the point where, you know, okay, now I'm doing sunshine. All I have to do is let my network know. And and things kind of fall into place from there. Do you need speaking of that? Do you need like a really big network? Would you say it's more more quality over quantity? Um, define that. Well, okay. For example, uh, let's just say I don't know this crazy figure that seems to be bandied about is when you get fifteen thousand followers on Twitter or whatever. But then other people would argue, well, you could have an enormous amount of followers, but maybe it's they're they're quite superficial. You know, a smaller group. But people who are, are really interested in what you do are much more effective than in like a, a massive group. I'm, I'm, I'm just yeah, kind of I, curious as to how how much of a following or how much of a network do you kind of really need before, you know, you, you've reached a certain uh, critical mass. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, you know that. So when I first kicked off Sunshine, and I'm looking at my Twitter account now, when I first kicked off Sunshine, I was right around 500 followers on Twitter. So not a strong following, you know, it was, I mean, anybody can have 500, right? If you're, if you're doing any activity on Twitter at all, you can pretty much get 500 followers. Yeah. Um, and now I'm sitting, you know, right around 21, almost 2200. Um, you know, and I think part of that is because of, uh, you know, doing sunshine and, and part of speaking at conferences a little bit more, a little bit of it, you know, maybe even due to the fact that I work for Zend, you know, the, uh, you know, so working for Zend brings a little bit of notoriety with it as, you know, in, in addition to all that. But so I didn't really have a huge network and that's what I, that's what I was getting at with 500 followers on Twitter. I didn't really have a huge network, but I had a good network. So I, I think that the, while the quantity does help, you know, cause nowadays, you know, having two two thousand followers, two thousand plus followers, it's a little easier for me to get the word out because now I can tweet about it, and I I do see a huge amount of interaction around it. Looking at it at Twitter Twitter anal- analytics, um, with five hundred though, I still got a pretty decent amount out because it was quality, right? I mean, I had mm-hmm. I had some people with some really huge accounts who were retweeting and and tweeting you know, themselves about the items that I was doing. And it really helped. And then, of course, don't, under, don't underestimate php.net, you know, um, uh, alerting php.net to the fact that I had a conference. I would say that other than, other than people clicking on links to the conference through Twitter, one of my largest referrers is php.net. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I guess there are a significant amount of people going to the conferences page on PHP.net and clicking over to the conference from there. It is a huge amount of traffic that I get from there. Okay. And, uh, and and only recently has Twitter um, gotten bigger than that, and that's only because I'm tweeting a lot from the Sunshine account and from my personal account and from the user group account. Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not necessarily... Thing of putting a conference on as such. I mean, I'm I'm not as involved in the local group as I'd like to be. I keep saying language skills, but then everybody says I can I can speak well enough. Um, so my excuses are kind of fading. But it was just interesting to hear because I've, I've looked at. I guess as I start to go to more and more conferences, um, 
if, if for no other reason than a sort of academic exercise, it's just interesting to, to say, I wonder what this would take. Like, and I wonder how much organizational um, skills and, and time would be required. So it was, it was really interesting to hear. Yeah. And, and now don't, don't let what I'm about to say diffuse uh, your, your possibilities of doing something. But, um, you know, the folks in Europe, the UK and Europe, they, they seem to have a little, have it a little bit better than we do in the States in that regard, right? Because you don't have as far to travel to a conference as, as in, in the States, we've got conferences, regional conferences pretty much everywhere now. Um, but, you know, because the UK, you know, while, while it is big, it does have a big, big footprint in world events. It's not really that large in square mileage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is a little bit easier, I, I would, I would think to get to different places. Um, you know, whereas in the States for me to get to a conference other than Sunshine PHP, the closest ones would be Lone Star in Texas, which is, you know, that's a, that's a two or three hour flight away. Um, you know, the next closest one would be up in Midwest PHP in, in, uh, you know, in uh, Minneapolis and, and, and that's, uh, like a four hour flight away. Or, you know, maybe even a little bit longer than that. So, uh, so it's not really easy to get to conferences in the states, and that's why the regional ones are so important. Okay, yeah, I, that sounds like a sort of similar experience from back home. Um, we always do this. Well, it's kind of a fun comparison when you're you're living in the UK, and you always find out who the. I don't know if the reference works in the in the US, like an antipodean. Is that a common term over there? Hmm, not heard of that. Uh, it's it's generally referred to. I think the ch- the term's been changed over the years, but it was someone from basically I think like the states, Canada, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa, and a few other countries. And generally speaking, those countries, um, the the sense of distance is a lot larger than say someone who uh, is from the UK or mainland Europe, because for mm-hmm. for example, um, back home we'd say. Okay, we're going to go for a road trip. We'd say, like, how, how far? Oh, just a day away. And that could be oh, six to eight hour drive away. Right. But it would be seen as a semi kind of casual thing because that's how far you had to go. You know, if you wanted to go somewhere and, and you couldn't afford a, a plane flight, which I think was only in the last 10 years, like the low cost fares sort of came to Australia. So you really right, had to right. drive unless you had a lot of money. It was just, it was what you did. And when you flew to Europe, I think. I've never taken a red eye flight, but uh, I, th- I think it'd be safe to say twenty to twenty five hours from London to home, right? And that's just normal. It's just what you had to do. Whereas in mainland Europe, if you know if you've flown a good number of hours, you're across how many countries, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So well, I mean, you could you could drive across uh, you know Germany in in an hour or so, right? Yeah, um, I think a couple hours maybe. Yeah, a couple hours. I mean, I'm planning in the middle of planning um, a 40th bash in um, sort of in and around Paris. I mean, that's from from where we are here, what now north of of Munich to Paris is about seven about seven hours, depending on how fast you're you know enjoying the autobahn. Mm-hmm. So you know you can go like you know through almost through two countries, right? Whereas back home. Seven hours, and I think I've—I think I would have reached one point of the state. <laughs> so I, I, I totally get what you're saying. You know, like when when the, the geography is that far stretched out, it, it becomes a lot more difficult. Whereas when you've got so much close together, you know, you can you can do I guess so much more, so much more easily. 
on the point of sort of doing doing quotes and how stereotypically developers always seem to not do it so well. And there's always that what's that that rule of thumb? Whatever you think it will take, double it and add half again, or something like that. Yeah, and you know that really that really grinds against my my mind a lot. I uh, because. Uh, uh, let me get on my, I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a moment. Please do. So, so the thing is, is I think that, I think the, the, the way of creating a quote and then doubling it, or some people even say triple it, right? I think that is just total, totally bad. It's totally a, a wrong way to do things. You, you're essentially guessing, right? And when it comes time to make a quote and it comes time to do time estimation, um, you know, of course, we're all terrible at it. But the thing is, is why are we terrible at it? Why are we doubling and tripling these things? I mean, we're we're essentially totally guessing it, right? If we're doubling and tripling, there's no way you can quantify it. There's no way you can be reportable on that. You know, how many times do we as developers working in an office, right? We have somebody come up and tap us on the shoulder. How long is it going to take, right? And what do you say? You You say, well, it's going okay. It's going good. You know, because in your mind, you really have no clue. You totally guessed on the estimate to begin with. Mm. There's no way you can say, you know, I'm right on time. Uh, It's going to be done in three more hours. There's no way you can say that because you totally guessed on your estimate. (laughs) Um, So essentially, you're lying from the beginning and you lie all the way through, you know. And, And we as humans, when we lie, we don't feel good. You know, it's an internal thing. We just don't feel right when we know that we've lied. And and it, it, although we don't consider it lying because, you know, we're trying to come up with as close of an estimate as we can, essentially it's lying. And and we just don't feel good about it. So the thing is, I, I tell folks is, there's no reason why a time estimate can't be done accurately. However, there are caveats to that. We First, we need full requirements. And without full requirements, we're not able to come up with a good solid time estimate. So we have to have full requirements and we have to insist that our customers, whether it's our boss or whether it's somebody that we're doing a freelance job for, we have to insist that they give us full requirements and guide them through giving us those full requirements. And then we can give them a good, honest estimate of how long it's going to take us to do it. Now, I don't live in a dream world. I realize that they're going to change scope. I realize that things are going to change throughout the course of the project. And that's where the double it and triple it come from, right? Because we know that customers are going to change their mind. Mm -hmm. But I firmly believe that we should not be lying at the beginning. We should openly tell the customer, hey, these are the requirements based on the time estimates, or these are the time estimates based on the requirements that you gave me. Now, you are going to change your mind. You are going to change the scope. And this is probably going to become double and maybe even triple by the time the project is completed. But here is an accurate time estimate. Too often, what I see is developers who double it and triple it and give it to the client or the or their, their boss or whatever. And then when the boss comes back and wants reportability, they can't deliver it because they weren't open with their boss or their customer from the get-go. And and that breeds bad feelings. People end up unemployed. People end up having to refund money or, or go to court over it in extreme cases. 
because they don't live up to what they said, right? And the reason they didn't do it is because they totally guessed on it because they knew that the customer would come back and want changes. So the way I do it is I give my time estimate and I say, okay, here is the hours. It's going to take me 400 hours to do what you want me to do. And here is the bulleted list of that breakdown of those 400 hours, right? Or whatever the case might be. However, you will change your mind and there will be changes. So this 400 will probably turn into 800 realistically. Yeah. But it, and, and at that point, you're putting it on the customer. So if they make changes, you know, then it's on them. You say, well, I'm not going to meet the 400 because now you're making changes. So we're going to get closer and closer to that 800 as we go. You know, let the customers own that or, or your boss, whichever the case might be. Let them own that. You know, there's no reason why the developer should own that. Yeah, and and yeah, sorry. And by give, um, yeah, sorry. No, no, uh, by fine. giving a time estimate where you double it, at that point you own it, uh, yes. and the customer yeah, and the saying. customer will never be satisfied. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying about you, you're sort of in effect doing the same thing, but at least that aspect of sort of transparency and ownership is is more honestly or more accurately placed. Perhaps. Well, yeah, and and you're you're breeding more satisfied customers because it, you know if if you own a car and if you go out and you wreck that car, you know you know oh I wrecked the car, right? But if you if you're you know if you're borrowing the car from somebody else or you're renting it for that matter and, and you go out and wreck it and then you know it, it's just not the same feel. Yeah, there's yeah I, I, that that example sort of makes a lot of sense. I mean the. On the point of it, I admit that I used to do that kind of like double and triple a lot. I I don't do it as much. It's more like a, a period of transition. But the thing that that helped me a lot, or what I should say is where I was coming from, was I honestly just didn't know. I was kind of taking a thumbsuck of how long I, I thought it would honestly take me. I spent a lot of time listening to videos from Uncle Bob Martin, um, who I really like absolutely had tip to. He was amazing for really ramming the point home about that sense of admittedly his videos are more on the point of testing and, and testing to know that you're delivering with quality but his I, I, the, the co-emphasis of at least the videos i saw were that it's about rebuilding that sense of trust that that typically doesn't exist um sort of you know between management or or the business and developers anymore it's it's this sort of comical, sort of accepted relationship of, well, we're going to ask them for how long and they're going to tell us a figure and it's going to be wrong and we're going to get angry. But we kind of just, that's just what happens kind of thing. And I mean, I, <laughs> you know, sort of, you know, tip head in shame. No, I've done it, um, but have seen it uh, a lot and sort of sort as normal but then i watched his videos and he said it shouldn't be this way you know we should be providing a service and be relied upon just like you would say you know you, you ring up a plumber or you want someone to renovate your bathroom and you say i want a bathroom i want it to look like this how long will it take so they can then tell you well i need these materials uh given the state of you know like the walls or whatever of that room you know it should take this long i'll have to investigate you know so and so and so the list goes on but they can tell you pretty reasonably how long that will take. And of course, being constructive kind of work, you know, for example, my, my sister was doing just this the other week when they were renovating the bathroom. When they pulled the, the walling off, they did discover that the previous person hadn't necessarily insulated the bath properly. 
So it could have leaked down into the, the foundations of the floor and they may have had to, you know, do a lot more work. But allowing for that kind of thing, the people said, look, this is what we'll need to do. It'll take this long. It'll cost this much. And it's a pretty close. And he said, you know, that should, that should be the case um, with development as well. People should come to you and, and say, okay, what we want to do is this. You then go back to them after, you know, you've assessed it, ask more questions, get more answers, more questions, and so on, and say, I believe, based on these requirements, as you said, it'll take this long. And that they can then have, have confidence that it will take pretty close to that, that time. And anyway, that's a long-winded thing to say, that after sort of focusing on that and uh, paying more emphasis to testing, I've found that when I look at something and say, okay, you've asked me to do this, okay, it'll, um, that feature will need this and this and this, that'll roughly take X long, and the, accurate, and the quotes have been reasonably accurate. I don't think I'm quite as good yet in, in making sure the ownership is placed where it needs to be, but at, you know, the progress I've made, I'm quite comfortable um, that it won't be long before it's there. I like the point that you're pushing about, you know, it's, it's ownership is where it needs to be and that you're, you know, you're transparent with the customer and at least if nothing else, you feel confident that the figure you've given is something that, that you know you can live up to. Well, and, and that's what it's all about, right? I mean, we as developers, we try to help out people as much as we can. It's our nature. You know, it's our nature to solve problems. It's our nature to fix things. And so we as developers try to help as many people as we can. And, and if you're constantly, you know, if we're constantly forced into a situation where we're guessing, then we do not feel satisfied. And of course, the customer is not going to be satisfied either when we have to go back to them and say, well, you know, I'm sorry, but it's going to take me another week to do this or another month to do this or whatever the case might be. This came to me actually, um, it was about, I guess, four years ago where I had a customer who requested a quote for me. And, and I was working freelance at the time. Uh, this was prior to me starting with Zend, um, you know, almost three years ago. And, um, you know, I was working freelance and this, this potential client approached me and said, you know, we'd like you to do a quote and for us and, and tell us, you know, how long it would take you to do this application. And, and you know, I, I, of course, I charge for my quotes. I don't just give a blank quote. I always charge the customer, you know, to, to build a quote for them. So, because I've got time involved, it takes a long time to come up with a good, accurate time estimate. So, I want to get paid for that. Um, and, and then while I'm doing that, I'm, I, you know, I'm getting all the requirements from them in the process if they don't already have them. Now, this customer did have all the requirements and they, they actually didn't have, you know, they did a pretty good job of it. So, I had all the estimates. And, and so, I, I went about coming up with a good solid quote and at the end of it, it ended up being a 600 man hour project, right? Mm-hmm. And I went back to them. I said, okay, it's going to take about 600 hours and here's the hourly rate and here's what it's going to take and here's what your server architecture will more than likely look like. And, and I came up with all that. It was a good detailed quote. Well, the customer was totally shocked. They were like, wow, that's a lot of money. I didn't think it was going to take that long. Um, you know, somebody else gave me a quote and it was literally half that number, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, and then they had another customer who gave them a quote and it was twice that number, but I was somewhere right in the middle. And and I said, well, you know, I said, you know, the, 
the person who gave you half the number, it's not going to get done. There's, it's, there's no way you'll hit that number with the requirements of what you want. And the person who did twice, you know, probably what they did is they came up with the same quote that I did, but then they doubled it because they know there's going to be changes and they know that it's not going to be 100% the way that you think it's going to be, right? Yep. And so naturally, that customer opted to go with the, the less expensive one. The person was half the time, of course, right? It, it's half the time. I can go to market so much faster. Let me go ahead and hire this person. So they hired the person. And then it was like three months later, they sent me an email and they said, you know what? You know, unfortunately, we don't have the money to hire you, but I just felt that I should let you know that your quote was right on the money. And I should have given the work to you. We're we're halfway done with our project. Uh, it may be even a little bit halfway done with our project. We spent all of our money on the person who was going to who said they could they could do it in half the time, and and we're nowhere near finished. You know, so so that was kind of a, an opening for me. You know, mentally, where I was like, you know what. People need to be educated about this. You know, developers need to be educated about this so that they approach customers in a better, from a better frame of mind, right? And and now that I know that that developer that said half the time, they probably really believed their number. Um, they they you know I don't think we I don't think I would like to think that developers don't openly deceive their customers mm-hmm. because I like to think the best in people and I think that I think that people are, are most people are good. Uh, in in nature, and they don't want to deceive. They don't want to do bad things. And and in this case, I'd like to think that that was the case with this developer, that they honestly believed it, but they lacked the education to properly put together a quote. Right? Yeah. Okay. And, and now, now, granted, we can't all just, you know, hey, I'm a PHP developer. I know PHP fairly well. Let me go start quoting customers, right? And it doesn't work. We we can't do that. You know, there's there's always going to be a learning curve as people learn how to give time quotes. But, you know, and maybe that was that person, right? Maybe that was the first time that they quoted somebody as a freelancer. Um, you know, or maybe they've been doing it for a while and just didn't know how anyway. You know, they 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 hadn't learned. Yeah. But but that being said, I mean that was the eye opener for me is when that happened, and I said, you know what, I need to I need to talk a little bit more about this, and I need to, you know, help customers as you know as well as developers to realize that this happens. So that's why I, from that moment forward, I started approaching my quotes in that manner, where I would I would get solid requirements. And then go back to the customer with a good solid quote and say, here's exactly how many hours it's going to take. You know, exactly within a 10%. You know, I always tell them there's a 10% possible deviance, you know, from my number. Even if you don't change anything, there's a possibility of 10% difference, right? Okay. Um, However, realize that I'm quoting exactly what you gave me as requirements. And those numbers are, these numbers are probably going to double because the way projects work is there are always going to be changes. You're always going to think of a better way to do something down the line. Therefore, these numbers are only half of what it's likely going to be. Now, if you don't make any changes and if we continue developing in exactly the way to the requirements are outlined, then we're going to hit our number. But it generally doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the thing I always find. It's And... I think you hit the nail right in the head, and it's something that I'm I'm, I'm progressively doing more of. Is I, I I don't necessarily think, or I choose not to think that 
the, the client's main ill buy it. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll give them this. I'll wait a bit, and then I'll sneak this in. I, 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 I like to think it's maybe perhaps like a minority that would actually think that way, and the rest are like, oh, I honestly didn't think of it. It was only after we went through this that I, I realized we'd need why. Um, but I definitely think it makes a lot of sense to to, to put in that, that effort, to really um, um, give it to them to say, look, but as you said, based on what you've asked me, it'll take this. However, more than likely, things are going to change. Something will come up. Um, something won't seem necessary after all. You know, there'll be changes along the way. And based upon that, this number will change. So, please, you know, so don't get this number or this value locked in your head as that's what I'm going to pay and that's how long it's going to take. So at least, you know, if you tell them that and, you know, you're, you're, you're quite firm about it, as you said, you know, you've been honest, you've educated them or, or done the best you could to educate them. So if something goes wrong, it's like, well, we did, you know, I did try to press this point earlier, but then maybe, I don't know, each person's different and each person learns in a slightly different way as well. Just to throw that yeah. cat amongst the pigeons. Yeah, and I think that's important, right? I think it's important to, that we educate the customers. I mean, it's I mean, it's not my job to give them a full blown course of it, but it, but it, I think it is my job as a professional developer to properly educate them on what they're getting, right, or or what they will get. Yeah. In that in that manner, you're again you're allowing them to take ownership, or you're forcing them to take ownership, whereas. You know, in the other using the other methods, nobody has ownership except for the developer, and you don't want the developer to own it. You know, it just never is never going to end well for the developer or for the company. And and I I carry that all the way through the development cycles, right? Um, as as I'm finishing, you know, I I typically work in an agile manner, doing sprints uh, of some form. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I might not follow agile hundred percent. I might have my own flavor of it, but I pretty much go in two week sprints and, and throughout the development cycle. And at the end of each sprint, I pretty much do the exact same thing. I, I make the customer sign off. You know, I want a signature on a piece of paper saying that this sprint was done and yes, everything was good or this sprint was done and everything's not as we expected. Here's my signature saying that, right? Interesting. And okay. Because if you don't have that, nobody's taking ownership. Now, I'm not saying do it and then, and then next thing, you know, you have a, a, a document you can take into court and enforce, right? It's not, it's not about that. Yeah. It's about the mental aspect of that customer taking ownership of what was built for them based on what they asked for. Okay. Yeah, in, yeah. In in some of my talks, I actually show a, I show a picture, and this kind of makes it sink in. I, I have a picture of a cow, and and it's a bull, and I found it on the internet. It's not mine, but it, it's a, it's a bull where there are elephant ears and an elephant tusk uh, strapped onto this bull, right? And so it's a cow made to look like an elephant, uh-huh. and and I I tell customers. And, and I tell other developers, this is what you get without requirements, right? Without full requirements, you're going to get something that looks like an elephant. You're not going to get an elephant. You're going to get something that looks like an elephant. Uh, however, with requirements, and then I bring up an image of an elephant, right? And it, this is what you get. You get exactly what you asked for. Ah, uh, yeah. That reminds me of, there's a, there's a story or something in it, and it, uh, what is it? it's, it's like the, the they asked 
three people to describe something, but one person was blind, and there were there were various other impairments or something, and each of them came back and described what they what they thought they saw or they thought was there, and each of them that, and then they said actually what was there was you know, and the difference between what the the perception and the reality was just always wildly different. You're thinking how exactly did you think that this was that? But as I say, you know, without that complete picture, you sort of going, well, this is what I thought it was, so that's what I told you. Oh, exactly. I mean, even with a complete picture, you're still going to have differences. I mean, we, we've all played the game when we were kids where you you line up a bunch of people and you tell somebody at one end of the line, you know, something, and then they, they whisper it in the ear of the next child and, and on down the line till it reaches the end. And by the time it gets to the end, it's different, right? Yep. And and it's the same thing. Even if you have a clear picture, you still run the risk of it being different. Um, but but at least with the clear picture, you can you can be close. You can be you know ninety percent say, and yeah. then the other ten percent is just some small deviance that is easy to fix. Right? Yeah, true. I mean, it's something I've been doing with the client lately. Is like they'll go through and say, okay, yeah, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do this, and I've never really said no to somebody unless I thought it was. It's like that avenue you're heading down is, is just going to be a problem. Um, and we look at it. And so we were going through like their, their workflow diagrams. They've been really good about it. Um, I want to say, okay, you've asked for this. Did you realize that more than likely, given that path, um, you want that path, you're going to need A, B, and C. And then we got it good about saying, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't appreciate the ramifications of, of all that we need just to get seemingly this part here. So it's been good. And I felt that as a result of doing that and always being up front saying, look, if you want to go down this path, that's fine. Your hour, it'll probably take X amount of hours longer as a result of, you know, this request. We can do that, you know, if, if, um, your budget allows and your deadlines are, are okay with that. But this is, you know, please realize I want you to have the full picture. I want you to know what this is going to take. And I'm not telling you this just to tell it to you. It's, it will take this long at least. And then, you know, but how about, you know, and, and, but also working with them to, to, to make sure they're, they're fully abreast of things and saying, how about, had you thought of this? And maybe we could go this other path instead. And always doing that or trying to make sure that discussion is is fleshed out as much as I can before doing any code. Because I always, I'm, I'm finding or I'm of the belief that code is kind of usually like the last step down the line. You know, that, that clarification of, of what you actually want to do is always first. And then the knock on, you know, and then code sort of comes somewhere down thereafter. Yep. Yeah. All, all valid points and all good points. Uh, and, and that's why that, that's why it's so important to come up with a good solid estimate rather than a guess. You know, so that way, because it, if you don't have a good solid estimate and if you're totally going off guessing, then you've got no legs to stand on when that change comes. Yeah. And it's like, well, which way do I go? And why did this happen? And, and here we go again, that, that metric around of I asked the developer, they told me a number, or they told me a date, and it didn't happen. And Well, and if you guessed, how can you possibly tell the customer, well, that's going to take 20 more hours, you know, and, and the project is going to change by that 20 hours or whatever. Well, you can't say that because you already figured it in, you know, yeah, uh, well, exactly. th- theoretically. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you would like, like to plug uh, to, you know, any talks coming up? Um, because I think by the time uh, this goes out, like Sunshine PHP, I think would have would have been finished. Yeah, so uh, you know, Sunshine is likely finished by the time this comes out. 
but uh, and and I actually I don't have any talks coming up. I've I've been refraining from sending out uh, call for papers to conferences because I I have a lot of things on my plate that I've been wanting to do for a long time. I've got some books to write. I've got a refactoring book I've been trying to get out, and and some other things. I guess. I guess one of the things that I do have coming up, though, that might be after you release this is I'm going to be talking about Zend Expressive on uh, Nomad PHP. Really looking forward to that. It's a brand new talk for me, and uh, Zend Expressive is pretty amazing. Matter of fact, it just went, uh, they just released uh, the, the stable version of 1.0 today. So, um, so really looking forward to the buzz around that. And uh, I guess uh, just stay tuned because I've got a lot of things coming probably later in the year, like in the fall. Um, hopefully I'm releasing a book by then and maybe some other uh, video uh, video casts. I, I can't think of the term, a better term to call those. Um, and I won't tell you who I'm releasing them with yet because I've got a couple with different companies and, uh, and hopefully I get hopefully I get both of them done by the end of the year and, and should release those later as well. As always, I really appreciate your time. It has been awesome. I love I love doing this podcast, if for no other reason than than learning, just, you know, talking to people and just letting it all soak in. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me. I had a great time and, uh, and I like listening to podcasts. So uh, good job to you and keep it up. So what did you think about the Fireside Chat with Mr. Adam Culp? Do you agree with his perspectives on not doing thumbs up estimates, on really knowing exactly or as much as is possible how long something will take about the way you communicate that to the client, about how you give that transparency so that the client owns it and you've given your best and that you don't lock yourself into a corner having to follow through on things that you just can't deliver? What do you think? Do you agree? Do you see it differently? Do you see it completely differently? I'd love to know what you think. So please share your thoughts in the discussion. That's freethegeek.fm forward slash episode 15. But otherwise, it's been a long episode, so I won't keep you from your day, your evening, whatever it is you're doing. But as always, if you have time, please leave a rating on iTunes, a couple of words, a few stars would be great. Really helps to, to know how I'm doing and to do it even better. Until next time, where I'm speaking with the grumpy programmer Chris Hatches himself, enjoy and happy developing. <laughs>